Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarrelling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. Thank you, Liz. This evening we're continuing through the second letter Paul wrote to Timothy to help him in his leadership role in the church in Ephesus in a hostile and challenging environment. Believed to be one of the last letters that Paul wrote, his last words show him as a coach and encourager, reminding Timothy that God would be with him in his important work there, so to keep going whilst expecting hard times. So we're looking in more detail at chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, where Paul explains to Timothy how to be useful to God. Now, if you look at the text here, don't worry, this isn't an eyesight test. It's probably too small to read. It's just for an overview. You can see, coloured in yellow there, Paul uses a lot of instructional words. Be like this. Don't be like this. Avoid that. Pursue this. Must must not. It's quite directional, quite explicit. These two verses here summarize the sections that they're in. So we're going to look at them in a bit more detail as our two main texts and look into the verses around them as Paul puts a bit more meat on the bones of those verses. Be there. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So let me explain the illustration. 
When I was growing up, my dad, who I'm now old enough to call Ken, used to do quite a lot of DIY, and he could often be heard around the house shouting, where's my screwdriver? Has anyone seen my hammer? Where's my tape measure? These items would eventually turn up wherever he had last used them, or occasionally in our rooms where we had borrowed something and not returned it. Mum's, or Jill's, solution was to buy him a toolbox for his birthday, and she christened it his Where's My Box, so that he and we could keep all his tools in there, and he would no longer need to call out for help to find something he wanted to use. And it worked. Such a toolbox helps present the tools inside it, often stamped with a kite mark of quality, quality approval, and an unashamed brand name to trust in. Paul tells Timothy to be like one of those tools in the toolbox, present and correct, available for God to use. So it's a question we can ask ourselves. Are we in the box? You don't get in the toolbox by being someone who quarrels about words. Paul says there's nothing useful in that and there's a greater risk of damaging other tools. Let's not confuse talking with doing, says Paul. Our missions as Christians could be put simply as one, find out what God wants you to do. Two, do it. Understanding often comes from doing, not just from talking. Jesus said, if anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Get going, doing what God says, and discover God by doing his will. That's not to say that words aren't important. Of course they are. But they can at times be a substitute for action. And they can be a distraction when we quarrel, potentially upsetting someone who's listening. Maybe someone whose faith is less certain as a result of the quarrel between Christians that they've just heard. We need instead at those times discussion. Not quarrelling, the purpose of which in discussion is to make bridges between different viewpoints. Not barriers, and bring those involved and those who hear closer together and closer, not further, from God. To build, not to ruin. So when we're in the midst of words, let's remember God's word. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, Paul wrote in his letter to the Ephesians. And so instead of thinking words, think sword, sword, sword. Not words, but sword. Test the words we hear 
and the words we plan to say against God's word. Are our words helpful? Are our words in line with God's word? The sword of the spirit. Is our talking helping understanding or just godless chatter? To handle correctly the word of truth is to see it as the sword of the spirit. We handle it correctly when we don't take it out of context, when we don't try and make it mean something that it didn't mean to the original writer and reader, when we seek to apply it to our lives by letting the spirit do his work to cut through all of the words and reveal the meaning to us often cutting deep to our core to reveal ourselves to ourselves as God knows us better than we do. Anything else, anything where the spirit isn't using his sword, God's word, is just words. Godless chatter, man's ideas, not God's. Avoid it says Paul, and he gives a specific example. When they spread the idea that the resurrection had already taken place, they're not talking about the resurrection of Christ, but about the resurrection of the Christian after death. In saying it had already taken place, Hymenaeus and Philetus may have been spreading the idea that there wasn't life after death for Christians, but that a new life began at the moment of baptism and then a man lived on only in the lives of his children. Many Greeks and Jews around at the time who were Sadducees may have been happy to believe such a distortion as they didn't believe always in life after death, but it was contrary to the Christian belief of the survival of our soul holding our personal identity after death. Ideas can spread like gangrene, can't they? We talk today, don't we, of various communications going viral. And such ideas need to be cut away by the correct handling of the sword of the spirit, God's word. Correctly handled, God's word builds his church. We see such examples today of wrong words being so readily accepted in our time of fake news and alternative facts and a lot of what goes on in the Twitter sphere. What is true? What is false? How can we tell? This reminds me of an illustration Jeff Steadman has used about how a bank was able to filter out counterfeit dollar bills by training people to do so by not ever exposing them to the fake notes in their training, but only to genuine ones. They got so used to handling the true notes, when they started work, the fake ones were just so different. Easy for them to spot the differences. The feel, the colour, the sound just wasn't the same. Immerse yourself in God's word, avoiding godless chatter, and you'll be more able to spot it more easily and to avoid it more easily. Paul explains how God's church 
stands firm against this noise in verse 10. It's because it's filled with people who belong to God. Verse 10. The Lord... Verse 10. Verse 19. That's my eyesight, I think, doing that. The Lord knows those who are his. People who have dedicated themselves to the struggle for righteousness, turned from wickedness. We're not all there yet, says Paul, and we would echo that ourselves. We're not perfect people. We are people who are being made perfect. And just as a large house is filled with all sorts of objects, so the church is filled with all sorts of people, reflecting the diversity of humanity. And the people God can use in his church are not those seeking special honour, but those seeking opportunities to serve. So, be there and be ready. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. So again, let me explain the illustration. We gave my father-in-law, Hugh, a permit uh, some time ago for him to be able to work in our garden without needing to pay for the privilege. (laughs) And I'm pleased to say that he has made good use of that permit and almost invariably brings this tool with him, one that, in fact, was handed down from his father. It may seem in the picture there to be just a humble trowel, but its shape and its feel makes it a tool that he wants to use frequently because it's so useful, just the right size for clearing, weeding, planting, gardening. His special tool. And he will always check at the end of the day that he hasn't left it behind, as he may well want to use it in his own garden. And he clearly doesn't want to lose it. How can we be a instrument for special purposes for God, like this trial is for Hugh. Imagine that God could want to use us and hold on to us and enjoy using us the way Hugh loves to use that trial. We're a mixture of people in the church. God can use us in many different ways or not at all. We may limit the ways in which he will use us by not really being ready to be used, having and spreading Odd ideas like Hymenaeus and Philetus, which don't pass the scrutiny of God's word. Or by not putting ourselves forward to be used and hiding the gifts God has given us. Remember how Jesus said, what good is salt if it's lost its saltiness? Useless. And a light needs to be on a hill rather than under a bowl. If we are to be salt and light for God in his world, we need to be ready to be used, clean from polluting influences, not for special honour for ourselves, but for special service. Paul outlines how to be made holy, flee evil, pursue good. Flee the evil desires of youth. Paul doesn't actually expand on those here. 
And perhaps we each have different ones, different ideas about what he meant by the evil desires of youth. I've listed some thoughts here. Maybe these are yours or maybe these include yours. Impatience, wanting it now. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Putting the first sometimes ahead of the best. The arrogance of youth, wanting it our way, intolerant of the views of others. Argumentativeness, wanting to be heard, our voice, talking rather than acting. Novelty, wanting the new, only interested if something is new, not that old thing, not rating the value of experience. Maybe those are some of the evil desires of youth. Pursue this instead, says Paul. Paul does give some words for focus here. Perhaps again, like the banknotes idea. He wants us to focus on the right thing and not spend time thinking about the wrong thing. Devote yourselves to recognizing the right sort of fruit and the wrong sort will be more readily apparent. Pursuing this sort of fruit, righteousness, giving both men and God their due, and women, obviously. Faith, showing loyalty and reliability from trusting in God. Love, seeking the best from others, however they treat us. Peace, the right relationship of loving fellowship with God and others. Having turned from wickedness, we flee evil by pursuing these positive qualities. This is Paul, the coach, something specific to run towards and to stay focused on the goal. Just don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Quarrels usually continue hardship. There's enough to endure already in Ephesus, says Paul to Timothy, without adding to it within the church. I remember when I read Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion. I was disappointed at how so-called Christians had reacted to his opposition to the Christian faith with their particularly unpleasant and unkind emails and letters that they had sent him, full of such bitterness and invective, damning him to hell for his views rather than seeking to instruct him gently. There was nothing of Jesus in most of the letters that he reproduced in that book. And I was also disappointed with Richard Dawkins for using such clearly unchristian behaviour as a crude brush with which to tar Christianity in general, inciting all of those letters. It actually seemed very lazy rather than intelligent thought in his book. But you could see why he might choose to react that way. And I expect the letters, unfortunately, helped close his mind to a way out of that and to looking beyond the limits of his thinking. But don't be quarrelsome, says Paul. Be kind. Be gentle. Our role is to open the door and place our hope in God, 
to be at work in the lives of those opposed to his message. The power is his, not ours. Gentleness, however we are treated. Gentleness, however we might be feeling. Remember the gentleness yet effectiveness of Jesus dealing with those who brought him a woman caught in adultery or those questioning paying taxes to Caesar to catch him out. Whichever of you has committed no sin, let him throw the first stone. Woman, is there no one left to condemn you? Then I do not condemn you either. Go, but leave your life of sin. Or, whose head is on this coin? Caesar's. Well, give Caesar what is Caesar's, but give God what is God's. Gentleness, directness, effectiveness, but effectiveness through being gentle. Are we ready to be used by God? Are we ready to be the tool he loves and wants to use? Are we ready to accept insults and injury, personal slights and humiliation? Are we ready to be patient, forbearing, forgiving? Are we ready to rebuke and correct, causing the minimum of pain and yet addressing the heart of the matter. Paul knew that for Timothy, in his context, these were actually really important things for the church to get right there, to build the church to endure as the body of Christ in Ephesus. That was what they needed to do, to be useful to God, to be work Workers approved by God. So as we finish now, we're going to have a short time of prayer and pray that in God's power and in our submission to his will, we might be there, a people belonging to God, dedicated to the pursuit of righteousness, and be ready clean and holy to be useful to God. Let's get into small groups for a few minutes now and pray for each other in our relationships with each other in the church, for our leaders in the church here, for ourselves, that God may be able to work through us, may choose us to be tools for his purposes because we're there and ready to be used.